0: Uh, good morning, everybody. Good morning. If uh, if you have a Bible, I would invite you to open it up to the Book of Matthew, chapter nine. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm sorry about that. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there should be a hardback one under the seat in front of you or somewhere near you, and so you can grab one of those and turn to page 814. And we're going to look at Matthew chapter nine this morning. It really is a privilege, and uh, I really do appreciate uh, the opportunity to come and speak to you this morning, and so. Um, hopefully, we can look together and, and hear from God this morning. Let's look at Matthew chapter 9, and we're going to start in verse number 9. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 says this. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came So Jesus, um, Jesus was controversial. He's still controversial today, but even, even when he was alive, even when he was here on earth, he was extremely controversial. Um, a lot of people hated him. And uh, today we're going to kind of get a little peek into why that was. Jesus came into a world. When Jesus came to earth, uh, he was God and he became a human being and he came into this world that, that, that this world that he came into was populated by a lot of people whose perception of themselves was that, that they were mostly good people, and their perception of the world around them was that, that, see, they were mostly good, but the people around them had a lot of problems. And if somebody could come along and, and fix the people around them and fix their circumstances, then, then their lives would be a lot better because they were okay. It was everybody else that was creating problems for them. And if this messed up, you know, broken world around them could just be fixed, then life would be so much better. I think, as I say that, that for many of us, that's probably a pretty good description of us and how we view the world around us today as well. I think most of us, if we're honest, would say that our perception is that most of the problems we experience in our lives are because of external circumstances. It's other people or it's events going on around us. It's the way the world is working. It's our, here's the word we've used a lot lately, it's our culture. Our culture has shifted and if our culture hadn't shifted, everything would be okay because we're generally, this is, this is our mindset, okay? We're good, everybody else has problems, And if somebody, if something, and maybe it's Jesus, maybe it's something else, but if somebody would just come and fix everybody else, then our lives would be so much better. And so we even, those of us who are Christians, we even pray, and we pray in this way, we pray, Jesus, please, God, please fix the world, fix everybody around me. Fix my my parents or fix my kids or fix my spouse or fix my fiancé or fix my roommates or fix them so that my life can improve. The problem with that is, and the longer you've been feeling that way and the more you've been praying in that way or the more you've been hoping in that way or wishing in that way, what you've started to realize is Jesus just doesn't really work that way, and that's just not what Jesus does. That's not who he is. That's not his goal. So this is pretty straightforward. Here's what I want to do this morning. I just want to go through this passage together, um, this little little slice out of Jesus's life, and, and work through it and pay special attention to a couple of statements he makes at the end, and, and look at how those apply to us, okay? So this is very um, just straightforward, not, not, you know, nothing fancy. Um, we're just going to look at what this says and, and how this applies to us. So here, here's the deal. This story um, takes place fairly early on in Jesus' ministry. Um, one of the things Jesus did was he gathered together this group of, of people to follow him, Um, And we refer to them by different names, disciples, apostles, but they were his followers. One of the fascinating things about those people, as we see in verse number 9, it says as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. Jesus went out and he called people to him. And that's important, and it's going to become important as we go through this this passage. So so in this this little um, story here, the guy he calls is a guy named Matthew, and if that sounds familiar, it's because we're reading this in a book called Matthew. So this is the story of the guy who wrote this book, okay? So there was a guy named Matthew. He was one of Jesus's followers. He would later on go back and write down, here's everything that Jesus did while he was on earth. This is how he first met Jesus, and and it's interesting on a couple of levels. First of all, it says he was sitting at the tax booth, and, and then in the next verse says many tax collectors. So his job was he was a tax collector. Now, to us, that doesn't really register. I mean, there's a little bit where we get it because everybody hates paying taxes, right? And so, we, oh, tax, the IRS. But, but it was even worse in Jesus' day, okay? So the fact that, that Matthew was a tax collector had like double um, uh, social stigma to it. There were, there were two huge issues. Number one, tax collectors were... were Okay, sorry, back up. So you have to understand the situation socially. Where Jesus was, and he was ministering to, and he was of Jewish descent, and so he was with the Jewish people. He was in Jerusalem. But the people in Jerusalem, the Jewish people in Jerusalem, were under captivity to the Romans. And the tax collectors were Jewish people who collected the taxes from the Jewish people to give to the Romans. So the taxes we're talking about here, it's not like us when we talk about taxes, like, I don't like taxes, but they pay for our schools, they pay for our roads, and blah, blah, blah. The taxes we're talking about here, this was the money that they had to pay to the Roman government to kind of, I guess, honestly, the best, I think the best analogy we could make is like in a gangster movie, like protection money. Okay, that's kind of what this is. Okay, this is like the payoff because the Romans are their captors, and to make sure that they have like the base level, like, we'll, we'll take care of you, we won't kill you all, so you pay us taxes, and we'll be kinder masters to you. That's kind of what this is. So a tax collector in his day was totally viewed as a complete and total traitor to his people, because he was a Jew, but he was working for their, their enslavers, And he's taking money from his people and giving it to the people who were oppressing them. So there's that. On top of that, the tax collectors had a reputation for, and it doesn't say anything specifically about Matthew here, but as a group, as a whole, they had a reputation for taking more than what was required and keeping the extra for themselves. So they were viewed as dishonest and immoral. They went against... Everything the Jewish law said a person should be in order to be pure, in order to be accepted by God, in order to have a right standing with the the Jewish God, they were doing everything wrong. They were doing it in opposition to or, or in defiance of their own culture and their own background. And they were doing it in a way that selfishly benefited themselves. So that's what a tax collector was. And so naturally... Their countrymen looked at them with, like, absolute and total revulsion. This is like the worst of the worst, to be a tax collector. And Jesus goes, and as he's walking, he goes to this man, this tax collector Matthew, and he asks him to follow him. And it says, and we don't have a lot of detail here, but it says he rose and he followed him. He answered his call, and then it says in verse 10, And as Jesus reclined at table in the house... Now, in the house is a little bit vague, but we can look at the other Gospels. There are four accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And and more than just, Matthew talks about this, this story. And from the others, what we learn is the house they're talking about is Matthew's house. And what it's most likely, and the way the others talk about it, what's most likely is what happened here is that Matthew after being called to follow Jesus, and we can talk about why this is in a minute, he wanted to celebrate. And so he throws a party at his house. And Jesus goes to his house. And the party is going to be populated by Matthew's friends. Well, Matthew's a tax collector. So who are his friends going to be? Well, it tells us, Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came. Because... If you're an outcast from society, if, if general, natural, polite society looks at you as you're a traitor to your kind and you're immoral and you're, you're an awful human being and none of us want to associate with you, who are your friends going to be? So he called his friends, and his friends are there, and they're tax collectors like him, and then there's the ones who aren't tax collectors are grouped under this very blanket kind of label, Sinners. Okay? So, in other words, they're people who didn't fit the mold or fit the description or fit the ideal of what a good Jewish person should be. They were tax collectors and sinners, and they were there, and Jesus went with them. And Jesus went to his house, and he went to the party, and, <clears throat> excuse me, when I say party, it says he reclined at table, which means they were eating together. They were sharing a meal together. Now, again, that doesn't sound huge, probably. Of course, you go to a party, you eat, right? But again, context here. So much of the Jewish religion was centered around what, what they would call ritual or ceremonial purity. You have to be pure. You have to make yourself pure before God. You have to follow these rules. And tons of those rules had to do with eating. And ceremonies related to washing yourself and being clean and what you could eat and what you couldn't eat and how you could eat and who you could eat with. And the idea of going as as a Jewish person who in any way wanted to have a relationship with God and so would have had at some point to have gone through these ceremonies to cleanse yourself and to make yourself pure and to try to follow these rules of what you can and can't eat and who you should and shouldn't be eating with, to go into the house of a tax collector, and eat at his house, and eat at the same table as, and again, the only word we have here is sinners, but with sinners, with unclean and unpure people, it was the guilt by association, and it wasn't just, it wasn't just like, oh, I wouldn't want anybody to know that that's my friend, but it was, in fact, the idea that by eating with these people, you would make yourself impure and unclean that you would be giving up, that Jesus would be, or his disciples, it says they were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, that Jesus and his followers would be in some way sacrificing their own purity, their own cleanliness, in some ways almost, to everyone watching this, to everyone seeing this, they would be sacrificing their own relationship with God, their own righteousness, to hang out with these other people. And so the Pharisees saw this. The Pharisees were a group um, who were committed in a way even above and beyond what what the average Jewish person would have been. They were committed to personal righteousness and purity and holiness and following all the rules and making sure everybody else followed all the rules, and this was like their full-time job was just being good and being clean. And so they saw that Jesus was eating with tax collectors and sinners, and in verse 11 it says, and when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, and there's this bit of it where it's kind of like, why didn't they just say this to Jesus himself? Like it's this little like middle school thing, like they're, but I don't think that's what it is. I think the issue here is the Pharisees saw what's going on, but they wouldn't even go into the house themselves to talk to Jesus, because Jesus is still in the house, and to the Pharisees to enter into that house, even to have a comment, even to confront, because in their minds, he's, he's, he's committing this huge and massive sin. They wouldn't even go in and confront him, Because that act in and of itself would despoil them. It would make them unclean. So they have to go to somebody who's outside the house, to one of his disciples, and say, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Because they're looking and they're saying, okay, Jesus is here and he's been here on earth... And he's been preaching and he's been teaching and he's been telling us about the kingdom of God and he's been talking about how to know God and he said these things and if you go back earlier in the book of Matthew and Jesus has preached these sermons and talked about how honestly in many ways what he says is your standards are actually lower than God's, that God's standards of what holiness is, is much higher than your own personal standards, because you say, like, you have to do these things, but God says you have to feel these things in your heart that go behind what you do, and all this stuff, and so they're like, Jesus is supposed to be this, this teacher who's leading people into holiness, and now he's in eating with tax collectors, and sinners. he's making himself unclean. Why does he do this? Why would he do this? Why doesn't Jesus do what we expected him to do, which is to come in and to tell the good people how good they are and to hang out with us good people and to tell the bad people how bad they are and that they need to fix themselves and give them advice on how to fix themselves and condemn them when they don't and judge them and punish them for being unclean and for being impure and then come hang out with us good people? Why is he spending his time And specifically, eating with the tax collectors and the sinners, the messed up, broken people, the bad guys. So all of that sets up Jesus' answer. And that's where I want to spend most of our time right now, is to look at what Jesus says. In verse 12, he says, But when he heard it, so they go and ask the disciples, and I don't know if that means that the disciples went in and said, Hey, Jesus, we have a question for you. Or if it's just because it's Jesus, he just knew, right? And he knows what's going on. And so, and, and I don't know, and I would love to think that, that he, um, did he come out of the house? Did he like lean out the window, maybe? I don't know how this happened. He just started shouting from inside. I don't know. But he answers them. And he says this, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick Jesus starts by saying, okay, the Pharisees have totally misunderstood why I'm here. Jesus says, I didn't come as a judge. I didn't come to punish. I didn't come to point out everything everyone was doing wrong so that they would be condemned, so that they would feel guilt, so that they would feel shame, I came to heal the sick. And not just physically, although he did that, but he's talking here about spiritually, okay? He's making a metaphor, and he's calling himself a physician, saying, there are broken and hurting people in the world. I have come to help them. Jesus says, my goal is not to come here to make the righteous or the good people feel better about themselves, I've come to help those who are hurting. Verse 13, he says this. Go and learn what this means. Now, we can read over this real quickly, but um, this is actually a fascinating little phrase here, go and learn, because it was, um, it was a common phrase used by rabbis in Jesus' day to their disciples to tell them that there was a gap in their knowledge, that there was something they needed to study more, Go and learn was like a, for lack of a better word, it was like a rabbi catchphrase. And when Jesus says this to the Pharisees, this would be a total and complete insult. Because what he's saying to them is, you have a gap in your knowledge. You've missed something. And you need to go back and you need to study further. Because the Pharisees spent all of their time trying to be good, and so studying, studying, studying the law... And they knew the law inside and out. And they had to have the whole thing memorized, and they just, they knew it. They knew the ins and the outs. They knew the little parts, the fine print, everything. So for Jesus to come along and say, yeah, but you missed something, would be a huge, total slap in the face to the Pharisees. But Jesus didn't usually care about that. Um, One of the things you see throughout the Gospels is that The people who are the most sure of themselves, the people who are the most sure that they are right and righteous, the people who think they're the good guys, Jesus has very little patience for, and he speaks to them often with sarcasm. He can be very, very harsh with them because he has seemingly, now we're going to see this isn't exactly true, but in some ways it seems as though he has almost no patience or no time for people who think that they are awesome and that they have it all together. So, go and learn here is actually uh, a, a, an insult. It's a slap in the face. Go and learn what this means. And then he quotes, he quotes from a prophet, Prophet Hosea, when he says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. He's quoting a prophet who was speaking for God, and so these are the words of God to his people, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. In other words, I care more about your heart than your actions. God cares more, God cares more about how you view other people than about what you do to keep yourself clean. That's what he's saying here, okay? I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, this is where this could start to get a little bit confusing, and so this is why we need to be careful here. If we look at verses 12 and 13 together, just just these two, it sounds like Jesus is saying... It sounds like Jesus is saying, okay, I came to earth because there's some messed up people. And there's some good people, but I came for the messed up people, so the good people, you're okay. And you don't need me, so I'm going to spend my time with the messed up people who need me. Doesn't that, that That's kind of what it sounds like he's saying, right? Like there's two classifications. There's the okay people who just don't need Jesus. They've got it all together. Everything's fine. And then there's the messed up people, so I'm here for the messed up people. So you guys are good, Pharisees. This is what it sounds, it could sound like. Now we're going to look at this, but it sounds like Jesus could be saying, hey, Pharisees, you're good. Don't worry about me. Don't worry about these people. Just go. You go have your little Pharisee fun, happy, clean, we're pure, you know, in our little box thing. You go do that. We'll be over here. I'm going to try to fix these messed up people. I'll, I'll get them fixed. so I'll get them fixed, and then I'll send them over to you. Okay, let me deal with the messy people. I'll clean them up, and when they're good and clean, we'll send them over, and they can hang out with you in your temple, right? Um, it's it's kind of this idea, maybe, maybe. Um, I don't want to oversimplify things, but uh, I read I read too much online, um, like blogs and stuff. And I know you, you don't. You have real lives, and you do important things. But um, I've been reading a lot lately. In some circles of Christianity, there's this debate about this idea that, that, that there are some, some Christians who are, are, are so upset about the way culture has shifted and changed, that their idea is maybe what we need to do is withdraw as Christians into exclusively Christian communities, and preserve, pr- preserve an element of Christianity against the outside world as the outside world crumbles, and then as the outside world, because it's just going worse and worse and worse, and the world is, is decaying, and it'll just be destroyed, but then once it's all gone, then we'll have our little Christian community, and we'll be good and clean, and then we can come back and, and rebuild. And and I'm, I'm kind of exaggerating, but not exactly. There's, there's the debate of what is it for a Christian to do as they look at a culture that seems different from them? Do they withdraw and protect themselves? You know, do, do they keep back and, and try to you know, preserve Christianity as it should be and keep them safe and clean from the outside forces that would push in against it? It sounds like, on the surface, it could sound like that's what Jesus is saying, in a sense. There's good people, and they're good, and I didn't come for them. They're okay, so we're, you know, you guys are over here. You just hang out, sing some songs, you're good. And then there's the bad people, and they need to be fixed. But that's not what he means. And we know that because of that beginning, that, 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 that go and learn phrase, and, and here's why that phrase, that phrase turns everything. Okay, so I, the, the go and learn is, is the key, I believe, to understanding everything Jesus says right here, and it's why he's not saying, some people are okay, and they don't need me, and some people are messed up, and they really need me. Because he says, go and learn what this means, And he's talking to the Pharisees, who are the, you know, professional good guys, right? And they've got it all figured out, and they're all clean on the outside, and they look all good. And he says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, meaning in the way your mom used to say, it's what's inside that counts. In other words, in other words, you can do all the right things, but you know And when he says, go and learn what this means, he's talking to the Pharisees and saying, you know this. You know that on the inside, you are not clean. And no matter how much you've tried to dress yourself up, no matter how much you've tried to make everything look good on the outside, you know on the inside, you're a wreck. You know on the inside that you don't care about other people. That you look so specifically in this instance, that you look at these people, these tax collectors and sinners, and you look at them with contempt and with hatred and with disgust. And God's called you to mercy and you have no mercy. You have sacrifices. You do what you're supposed to do for yourself, but for other people, you, you don't care. This is echoed Um, in the book of Romans. I want to look over there for a second. In the book of Romans chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is talking about this. And again, he's talking about the people from the nation of Israel who, who believed that they were righteous, who believed that they were good enough, And who believed that, as they looked at at what they would refer to as the Gentiles, and they were awful, they were horrible, and they were so bad. And Paul says this in Romans chapter 3, verse 9. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, as it is written. None is righteous. and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Even if Jesus was saying, the righteous people are okay and they don't need me, the truth is there are no righteous people. That all of us, if we are honest in our own hearts, have to admit we are just as bad or worse than any tax collector or sinner. That Jesus came to earth as a physician for the sick, and we're all sick and until we recognize that so here's here's what this means okay here's put this together until we recognize that there really isn't much use that we have for jesus until we recognize how sick we are how broken we are how sinful we are in our own hearts as long as we keep locating all of our problems outside of ourselves it's because of him, it's because of her, it's because of them, it's because of it. Until we know it's because of us, then there's really not much that can be done. Because Jesus came as a physician to heal brokenness, but a doctor doesn't do much for you if you don't go to the doctor, right? We have to, excuse me, we have to understand we are we are broken. We are all sinners. We are all desperately in need of help. That we don't look we can't look around and say, Well, the the world, the culture is decaying around me. Everybody is getting worse. Everything is getting worse look in your own heart. And if you push back against that, if you say, yeah, well, I'm not so bad, then I think Jesus would say to you, go and learn. But I want to I want to spend so so that's that's there. That's yeah. We're all a mess. We're all sick, we're broken, we need a Savior. So i want to spend the rest of our time not, not talking to those of us who, who really desperately need to go and learn. Because here's the deal. Um, Jesus will take care of that, right? I mean, Jesus, he's, he's kind of the one in charge. If you're at a place right now where you think you're pretty good and everybody else, Jesus will, God will, um, he'll let you know. He will work events in your life in such a way that, that that if you're not there yet, you will be broken. He will break you down. He will bring you to a place where you recognize your need for him. So I want to talk for the rest of the time then to, to, to the people who are there already. The people who don't need to go and learn because you've learned. To to, to those of you, to those of us who recognize the sickness of our own hearts. The brokenness of our own selves, the, the, the need, the desperate need for help. Those of us who know that we're hurting, those of us who don't need a, a preacher to tell us that we're all sinners because you look in the mirror every morning and you know it. Because you, you spent so much time trying to, 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 to point around and say it's because of him, it's because of, but at this point you're just, you know, it's you. And you're hurting You recognize that you have a need. And the good news, the good news is that Jesus says he came for you. He came for you. Like he came to Matthew, like he sought Matthew out, like he pointed to Matthew and said, you follow me. You broken sinner, you tax collector who knows that you're a tax collector, like you can't deny, that's your job, man. He points to him and he says, you follow me. He went to his house for him, for the tax collectors and sinners. He says, I didn't come to call the righteous, I came to call sinners. He came for you, That as much as you're broken and you're hurt and your heart is crying and you feel alone and you feel depressed and you feel like there is no help for you, Jesus came for you. If you're still in Romans, I want to look further down in chapter 3 at verse 23. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We just said that, we know that. We understand that. We are sinners. We are broken. We've all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. But look at verse 24. And are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received By faith. Jesus came for you. And he died for you. And he died to take the punishment for your sin. And he died because he loves you. Out of his grace... He died for you to heal you from your brokenness. You do not need to hide in your guilt and in your shame because Jesus came for you. Because the brokenness that you feel that you want to cover up, that you don't want people to know you're broken, that you're trying to hold it all together, that. We, um, before we moved to Illinois, I was on staff at a church in Oklahoma City. And um, if you work, and I know there are a small, very small number of people in this room who work at a church. I understand that. Um, but if you ever get the experience to do so, um, it can be very, very difficult because there's this feeling of I have to be perfect because I work here, and and everybody's watching me, and they're watching to see how, and I'm supposed to be a model. I'm supposed to be um, an, an example for for these people. And now I say that in a church. That's just true everywhere. Okay, you you, you all understand that feeling. I'm just trying to say, in my specific instance, it was working in this church, and and I was not. I was a mess. Okay, things were a mess. Our, our lives were a mess. We, our marriage was, was a mess. I mean, we were just going through intense, just, it was a mess. And I remember, I wouldn't say daily, but almost daily, at least weekly, probably more than that, waking up and feeling and knowing and thinking to myself, if anybody knew what was actually going on if anybody knew what our lives were really like, if anybody knew what my heart was really like, if anybody knew who I really was, I mean, number one, if anybody knew that, I'd be done. I'd be fired. Like, my job, it would be gone. But beyond that, like, if anybody knew who we really were, I mean, just the shame and the guilt and, like, desperately needing help, but at the same time feeling like, but I cannot admit this. Jesus came for me in that. Okay, if you if you at all can can understand, if you can can identify with what I just said, if you at all have that sense or that feeling that that there's this guilt and this shame and this you have to hide it. And if people knew who you really were, if at all the, the cracks started to show in the facade that you've built around yourself to try to prove to everybody that you are righteous. Jesus came for you. He loves you. He died for you because of your sin. Okay? In fact, little translation um, geekery, but in in Romans, or excuse me, Matthew 9 13, where he says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came. When he says for I came, he's saying I came because of that. This is the reason why I came. Jesus didn't come to earth because there were good people here who deserved for him to come. He came because of our brokenness. So, I don't know where this hits you this morning. I mean, obviously, I, you know, as Jesus is talking here, I, I think there's, there's a pretty clear sort of two, two groups that, that we could be addressing this morning, that Jesus is addressing this morning. Okay? It could, be, it could be that you're in a place where you honestly, you really need to go and learn, which means you, you need to understand who you really are. You've been trying to deceive yourself and maybe you even have gotten to the point where you have deceived yourself into thinking you're okay. You're good, everybody else is messed up but you're good. If that's the case you need to understand, you need to go and learn. That's what Jesus says, go and learn that it's your own heart. Your heart is black, it's broken, it's wicked, it's it's not getting any better. You need Jesus just as much as all those people that you think need Jesus. But I understand and I recognize that there's more, maybe more, I don't know, I don't know percentage-wise, but in my mind, I'm guessing there's probably more of us here this morning who would be on the other side of this, who have been broken, who have been beaten down, who are in a place in our lives right now where everything we thought we were going to get, everything was going to be okay and we got, and it's just not and we're hurting, and we're desperate, and we just need to remember, and we need to know, and we need to believe that Jesus came for us. And that he is here, and he is available, and he wants to heal us. He came as a doctor, and we are sick, and we need to go to him. And we need to go to him in faith. And we need to drop the act, and stop Pretending, and just come and say, Jesus, here I am. I am messed up. I am broken. I am a sinner. And I desperately need you. And that is where he meets you. And that is where he steps in. And that is where he does what only he can do. I also recognize, I'll just throw this in here, that there are some of us who, again, as we look at the world around us, because we've tried to kind of deceive ourselves or convince ourselves that we're righteous, that we're afraid of other people defiling us. And first of all, let, let, let Jesus assure you, um, nobody's going to make you any worse than you already are. So where we're um, tempted to draw in, to draw back, to keep safe, Jesus calls us to push out and to go forward and to lean out into the messiness of life around us with his message, with the truth that he came to heal, because there's a lot of people who need to hear that. Starting with ourselves, but, but everyone around us desperately needs to hear that. And, and he desires mercy, and if we have mercy, then we understand. Mercy tells me that when I see a hurt person, I want to help. And that the only way to help is to offer them the only one who can help. So where we're tempted to draw in and shut ourselves off and just our family or just our church or just our community group because we're all believers and we're just going to weather the storm of whatever is going on, Jesus says, no, push out. Step out into the mess with this message that Jesus came for you. So we're going to take some time. We're going to have some time of quiet reflection and maybe just the question this morning is who am I? Where am I on this? What am I believing about myself? What am I expecting of, of Jesus? Am I asking him to fix my world around me so that my life's better? Or am I asking him to do the hard work in my own heart because I recognize my need for him? Let's pray. Let's pray. And then we'll share communion. Heavenly Father. God, this is hard. Um, Hard words and yet good words. There's a challenge to, to so many of us who want to believe that we've got everything figured out. And you would tell us to go and learn. But God, there's so much hope, there's so much promise. There's so much life and redemption and restoration for those of us who have seen our brokenness, who have seen our sin, who know that we desperately need you. So God, my prayer this morning is for everyone here who is hurt, who feels lost, who feels hopeless, that they would come to you. That you would call them to yourself and that they would run to you Drop the pretense. Stop trying to make everybody think that they've got everything figured out, that they would just lean on you and that you would heal them. And Lord, I pray that you'll transform our eyes, that we'll look at at the world we live in, not with fear and asking how we can keep ourselves clean, but rather that we would look with mercy and seek to be, as, as has been said this morning, your hands and feet to a world that desperately needs you. I pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior.